Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. This is the first part of an addiction series I have wanted to do for a very long time. I think it is a relevant conversation, an increasingly relevant conversation in our modern world, and it's something that needs to be talked about. There are so many facets to it, so many aspects to consider, so many manifestations of it, so many experiences of it, and it can be a shame-filled topic, and that's too bad. And as they say, sunlight is the best disinfectant, and the way to address anything is to face it and to talk about it and to share our stories. And that's part of the idea behind the nativist anyway, is to share stories and perspectives, hopefully to resolve judgment, to see people and situations in a different light than maybe you would naturally look at them. And I just really want to, like I said, normalize this conversation. And I was listening to a podcast, the Goop podcast, and Dr. Gabor Mate was talking specifically about addiction. He is a specialist on this. He has literature on it. He knows his stuff. And I liked what he was saying, was starting with his nutshell definition of addiction, which is addiction is manifested in any behavior in which a person feels temporary relief and pleasure and therefore craves but suffers negative consequences as a result of and cannot give up despite negative consequences. It could be pornography, sex, eating, relationships, video gaming, even work addiction, as he pointed out, and profit addiction, which is killing the earth. And that's a separate topic that we won't get into today. But when Dr. Mate gives this talk to, he said, any group of 800 to 1,000 people and asks how many here by that definition will have an addiction, virtually everyone will raise their hand. Most people are addicted to something to varying degrees. Some people are addicted to multiple things and we judge those whose addictions we don't approve of. We've arbitrarily decided which addictions are respectable and which are not. For example, we judge heroin addicts more than cigarette smokers, which is interesting because from a health standpoint, cigarettes are worse for you than heroin, unless of course you overdose on heroin. But if you compare daily cigarette usage to daily heroin usage long-term, cigarette smokers are worse off. And so let's think about that. Let's think about what addictions we find acceptable, what addictions we judge more harshly. Let's think about our indirect or direct experience with addictions, how we judge others, who are either addicted to something or have a loved one or partner addicted to something and how they're handling it. This is all nurture empathy and to inspire us to think outside our personal experience and perspective. So thank you. Thank you for coming along for this. I'm excited about this guest and I hope you see why. Thank you. If you are interested in listening to that Goop podcast episode with Dr. Gabor Mate, it is called How Does Childhood Stress Manifest in Adulthood? And it's back from March 2019. And for this episode right now, I apologize for the poor quality. It's worth it. I promise. Power through it. And I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. 
please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. And this is a really, really meaningful episode this time. I have been wanting for a while to do a series on addiction, and this is it. I am so grateful for the brave souls who stepped up and offered to share their stories. This is not an easy topic. It's something I want to normalize talking about because it affects all of us directly, indirectly. It's a big deal, and it's something that needs some sunlight so we can talk about it and normalize it and support each other and learn. So I am here with Reagan. Reagan, thank you so, so much for coming on. How are you? I am great. How are you? Good, 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 good. Happy you're here, that's for sure. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, and I am recently married to my second husband. I have two kiddos, ages seven and three. Um, I'm currently pursuing a bachelor's degree in psychology. That's about it. Honestly, I'm not super exciting. No, those are some solid <laughs> points. Congratulations <laughs> on your second marriage. You guys are so cute. So cute. <laughs> and I like to so, think so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you definitely are. I'll back you up on that. How has studying psychology been? Is that something that you've wanted to get into or did you fall into it? Um, honestly, it's something I have been really interested in for a long time. My older sister got her bachelor's degree years ago in early childhood development. And it just kind of sparked an interest for me as well. So I'm pursuing um, a career eventually in psychiatric, I'm sorry, pediatric psychotherapy. Um, that is the end goal. So that's exciting. Good for yeah. you. I mean, I'm a big fan of psychology. I majored and then minored in it. So it's nice. fascinating, isn't it? It is quite fascinating. And so many different ways to go with it and so many avenues oh. for sure. Yeah. And just you could just dive in and <laughs> swallow it in for hours. <laughs> Totally. Absolutely. Okay. So thank you for coming on here. Thank you for being so open because I know that this isn't an easy topic to talk about and you were so willing and you're like, yes, this needs to be talked about. Let's talk about it. So props to you for that. So what's your story? What is your experience with addiction? Uh, Well, I can dive right into the nitty gritty. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) All right. So um, I got married very, very young. I actually was 18 mom. Um, I'm 24. My daughter is seven years old, going on eight this year. I got pregnant when I was 16, um, dropped out of high school, married the father of my child, ended up having another child with him. And just six uh, short weeks after I gave birth to my first daughter, the very ripe age of 17, I learned that my husband at the time had a very serious problem with pornography. Um, And so obviously that was something that kind of carried um, for the next, I think I was married to him for six years and eventually it was the demise of our marriage. Yeah, that's heavy. So your initial thoughts, your initial reaction when you first find out what was going on in your head? You know, I was super young and I 
yes, well, I got pregnant at 17, I was still super naive and I grew up very sheltered. So it wasn't really something that I necessarily knew how to respond to or deal with. I had noticed some kind of off behaviors in my husband at the time. Um, a lot of secrecy around his devices, really weird long trips to the bathroom. <laughs> um, so I had my suspicions. And eventually, especially being as young as I was, your brain kind of goes to a worst case scenario and start feeling a little crazy. And of course, I tried confronting him on multiple occasions about what was going on because I could just feel it. I knew something was going on and I figured that I knew what was going on and was trying to check internet history and all of that stuff and nothing was coming up. But in my soul, I just knew that there was something. Um, And eventually I pretended I was an FBI agent and I did a little research on perhaps how to um, (laughs) recover like deleted internet history stuff like that and I actually it came across a way that I could at least not necessarily find exact links that he had been on but at least those sites and eventually I was able to come across and uncover that he had been visiting these websites um, pretty frequently so eventually um, at that point when I had solid proof, I confronted him about it and he eventually caved to it. So yeah. From then on, what was your approach? Was he owning up to it fully? Like, yes, this is a problem. This is something I want to stop. What were his thoughts and reactions and words? Um, At the time we were actually living with my parents. So, and it wasn't something that like I wanted them to know about necessarily so I couldn't be explosive or anything like that I had to really keep my head on my shoulders so when I found out I actually uh just ran downstairs and he came to check on me and I told him what I had found and he broke down at that point and basically just said it was something that he had struggled with from a very young age we're talking 12 13 years old um so at that point that would have been four or five years already and basically just said it was something that he had struggled with, swore to me he would stop and that it was never going to happen again. I mean, we got divorced six years later, so spoiler alert. <laughs> it, did not it did not stop. <laughs> wow. That's, <laughs> jump to the ending. So that had to have had an effect on you, though, to not be able to fully react, right? That kind of had to, like, sure. temper that? Yeah. Honestly, I was never the reactive type. And at that point, I probably felt more just inflamed than I ever had in my entire life. Because for months, I had been just on him and just begging him to like fess up to whatever was going on. And just kind of convinced to believe that I was just so in my head and hormonal and crazy because I mean, I just had a baby. So obviously, yeah, I'm hormonal, but. Isn't that maddening? Just when you know in your bones that something is up, something is wrong, something is amiss. And then Mm -hmm. either someone is gaslighting you or you don't have concrete evidence yet, but you just know. And so there's like that little bit of disconnect in that gray area. And that is maddening, right? It is maddening because you know. Yeah, they're not going to say anything until you have caught them red-handed. Yeah. 
And even then, sometimes people still try to. Even stop. then. <laughs> well, no, this is not what you're seeing right now. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> so, knowing um, what you know now and being older and more experienced with life, how would you react now if you were to come across the same situation? Honestly, I feel like I would push a little harder for some kind of either some kind of therapy or support groups or something like that. At the time, I was naive and I kind of just thought like, well, he's learned his lesson. So I just kind of let it go at that point. And I didn't want to be like, I don't know, he made me feel so crazy at that point and it wasn't a good feeling. So I didn't want to be the crazy wife, so to speak. I didn't want to be constantly in flames left and right accusing him of this and that or pressuring him um, into some other direction I just kind of at that point let it go until things continued progressing but I wish I had kind of tackled it a little more head-on and perhaps at that point also tried to just kind of understand everything that was behind it um, just so I could have a better grip on it and maybe be someone who could support it or support the recovery process a little better um, instead of just being as passive as I was at the time. Sure. Wow. I can't imagine experiencing this and encountering that and then dealing with it and managing it. And what a burden on you in multiple ways, not only to deal with that, but then also to carry like the extra burden of not wanting to appear difficult or not wanting to complicate it or exacerbate it or any of that, but you're Absolutely. not the one generating the problem. And yeah. so like you have the added burden of like, you're trying to like mitigate it. You're trying to make it easier. You're trying to smooth it over, or do whatever. And that is just extra layers of pressure on you. And that's even harder. Yeah, it was a lot. It was heavy, especially at the time. It was six weeks after I had had our daughter. I think actually, no, it was probably more like four weeks after I had had our daughter. I was 17. I had left high school. My life was already just uprooted and completely different than what it had been a few months months before I'd gotten married, right as I had turned 17, um, two weeks or two weeks after I turned 17, I got married um, to this person that I didn't really know. Well, like, I mean, we had dated for a year and a half, but this thing that he was dealing with had never been disclosed to me. So at that point, it was almost as if I had kind of been trapped and wasn't really given the opportunity to set a boundary that I didn't even know that I would have needed at that point. Yeah. Well, think of all that's going on with that. I mean, any of those in isolation, just being young. So just (laughs) young in general, even if you're not a young mom, that's tough and challenging and has its shit that you got to deal with. And then being a young mom, that's tough. And then just having like giving birth. And that is such a, I don't want to say discombobulating, but a transformative experience in your life where it just throws everything out of order, what it was, you know, and any of those in isolation are big moments in life. And then to have all of those together <laughs> compounded, holy smokes. Yeah. yeah. I was a teenage girl who had just had a baby, was going through a bunch of bodily changes, only to find out that my husband is 
consistently looking at pictures and videos of naked women. Yeah. <laughs> Holy and God. Stuff. Jeez. Yeah. That is so gnarly. So if you were, and this is kind of a different spin on this same question that I just asked you, but let's say that you had a sister or even like your daughter, if she came to you or a friend or somebody who came to you and said that they suspected that their spouse was um, addicted to porn, what would you say? What would you advise them? Knowing what I know now, it's super tough because after dealing with it for as long as I did, I'm sure there are people that have struggled with this and have stopped, but it's a really tricky one because unlike substances um, that have more restrictions, you know, if you're addicted to nicotine, you know, you have to be 18 or have access to someone that's willing to break the law for you. Alcohol, you have to be 21. Whereas this, it's so accessible anywhere you go. And so if it were my case, I mean, when I basically told my parents that I was getting divorced. They knew nothing that had been going on in my life for the past six years with this. And my mom immediately discloses to me all of these different women that she knows whose husbands struggle with this and women that have had to install safeguarding on their 30-year-old husband's cell phone and um, just came to kind of feel like something that I would basically have to babysit my husband to make sure that he wasn't doing this kind of thing. So when giving advice to someone else, I mean, my only option at the point after years of someone who refused to correct their behavior was to go. Like I had to leave because I knew after six years, it just wasn't going to change. Obviously, people are different. And I'm sure that a different person struggling with this addiction might respond differently to the way that their spouse is suffering from it, um, the way that it's affecting them. So, I mean, honestly, I would probably encourage them to encourage their spouse to seek any kind of therapy, counseling, something correct, but counseling themselves. But I would probably give it a time limit because I did learn the hard way that unless a person wants to fix themselves, no amount of love or encouragement is going to fix them for you. So Yes, yes, yes. And that's the kicker. And that I can imagine would be so hard as a loved one because for so many reasons. I mean, it'd be frustrating, it'd be heartbreaking, no matter if you're a spouse, if you're a a relative, if you're a friend, if you're a whatever, whatever relation you have to the person, because it has to come from within. It has to be their desire and their initiative because otherwise, and I was listening to a guy talk about it today and he was saying it just, it didn't matter how he had framed it was really well put better than I'm framing it right now. But like he basically said, he's just like, it didn't matter how supportive they were or the ultimatums that they gave me or how lovingly, lovingly they approached it. It didn't matter. It wasn't going to happen or change until I decided until I was ready to stop it. And I think that that's such an important point too, in that same vein to make is it's inherent. It's in the person. Um, It's not anything that you or the spouse or the partner or the parent or the kid or the 
whomever else did. It's the sickness within the addictee, the person who's addicted. Absolutely. And I could Um, imagine, tell me your thoughts on this. I could imagine how it might make the spouse feel shame or inadequate or like they're just not fulfilling their partner's needs and it's on them and they're just not doing what they should as a spouse and they just need to step it up. And that's just not the case. It's so within the, the addictee that it's just a sickness that they have and it doesn't matter how beautiful or how attractive or how fulfilling or how wonderful or attentive or whatever else their partner is, it's not going to change it. They could be with just the most ideal partner on earth and still that sickness would be there. For sure. And I definitely, um, for the first really long time, it took a really long time for me to get out of this mindset, probably well after we got divorced to be totally honest with you, but my self-esteem just tanked. Like there is no way out of it. Um, obviously we already covered that I was a teenage girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hard enough. yeah. Yeah. A postpartum teenage girl. Yeah. Um, boom, boom, boom. And obviously I initially blamed myself because it was like, well, like, what are you? Are you not getting enough sex? <laughs> like, yeah. And so I tried to be what he needed me to be in order for him to not need porn anymore. And no amount of that, no lost weight, no amount of sexual activity, like no matter how much it was, it wouldn't stop. I mean, I don't, again, I don't know how GPG rated this. (laughs) No, not at all. Yeah. No filters whatsoever. So following basically the last couple of years, I was offering a lot of ultimatums and I essentially said, this has to stop or I'm gone. And obviously that was something really scary for me to even say. And a lot of the time I was bluffing and just hoping that obviously um, if he thinks I'm leaving, then maybe he'll stop. But of course that carried less and less um, weight with him because he kept doing it and I wouldn't leave out of fear. But it was when um, I actually asked for a divorce that he decided he was going to start going to therapy. Wow. (laughs) Um, It was post divorce and I just it was at that point that I realized it really wasn't me but anyway um we would have sex essentially and in the same morning he would go to work at his office and he would watch porn in the bathroom like he had a real problem with it um and I'm not like a touchy person this is what really messed me up is that I like I'm just not like touchy isn't my love language I'm not hypersexual I'm just not that kind of person and it takes a lot for me to engage in those activities um so by forcing myself to try and engage in those activities as much as I was to try and prevent him from doing what he was doing and to still have him turn around and just go engage in that directly after and with as much as I was giving him it definitely warped my perception of myself tenfold. I can imagine, especially you going out of your comfort zone and trying to rise because you're trying to meet those needs and and to have that still feel like that's not enough. What a slap in the face that would feel like. For sure. Wow. And then that's also self-abandonment too, because you're trying to meet his needs and you're so focused on him and what he needs that you're abandoning yourself in the sense that 
you're not meeting your needs and your emotional needs and your physical needs and what you need out of the relationship. And that carries effects, ripple effects, (laughs) heavy. Oh man, just what a tough situation all around. And I love that you had made the point of how accessible pornography is because it is. different than certain drugs, different than other forms of addiction. It's just so readily available and slippery slope, man. Innocuous. Yeah. And then you get into it and then you're hooked. Yeah. And then boom. And it's affecting relationships and daily life. Wow. So what coping methods, and I know that you touched on like therapy for you and support groups for the the partner or the loved one who's experiencing it on the other side. What else would you suggest as a coping method for people? Um, there are also support groups for women or spouses that have spouses that struggle with that. I did attend a few of those. Um do you feel like they and helped? I thought they did a little bit. Honestly, it's it's taken years and a lot of therapy um, for me to just get to a point um, where I just virtually stopped hating myself for not being enough. Um, how do you so, feel now? How do you feel now with yourself and how solid do you feel? Honestly, I do feel pretty solid. I'm not going to say that I'm like in love with my body by any means, but it's gotten to a point where that's not the end of the world for me. Um, and I've married someone who has kind of also just helped me see that that's just not a deal breaker. Um, so by surrounding myself with better people and Finally, after years of confessing all of this to my family and getting their support, it's been very healing. Um, And I'm definitely to a point where I'm not consistently comparing myself to every woman that passes me on the street. The really crappy psychological effect this had on me as well was just hating women. (laughs) I hate hated women for so long because of this. But um, Well, and think about how hard it is to just be a woman anyways yeah (laughs) it is so hard enough just this ideals that we're held to and the shifting ideals and it's like you're never good enough and they're always changing and they're so elusive that it feels like you're never going to achieve them no matter how hard you try so there's that and then add this on top of that and that's just a recipe for just misery yeah, because it's miserable anyways, like being a woman in this society, not feeling like you're ever thin enough or smart enough or mm, toned enough or whatever enough, like it's just yeah. never enough. And that <laughs> compounds it. And it's just a shit storm. Yeah, so that's really hard. And so that's so great that you had support from your family. Were they initially supportive when you told them about it? You had mentioned that your mom like had seemed supportive and said that like many of her friends dealt with it too. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I was one of the reasons I was terrified to like divorce him is because I grew up in a religion where divorce was um, kind of frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And obviously my parents were in the same religion. So one of the reasons I stayed was because I was afraid of divorce. So I just been taught to, you know, stick around, work it out. So I really, I did not want to tell my parents that was the hardest part of anything, but they genuinely surprised me with their response. Um, oh, what a relief. Good. I, <laughs> I was very surprised that they were as supportive as they were of it because 
I just thought like, well, they're not going to let me get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how trapped that would feel. And d- doesn't your heart break for the people who are still in these relationships and these marriages? It it really does. Wow. I, yeah, she mentioned a couple of friends that she had that, like I said, yeah, they still, they have to keep like internet monitoring on their spouse's devices and the babysitting job. I, yeah. I don't want to spend the rest of my life feeling like I have to watch my husband because if I'm not, he's going to be doing something that yeah. crosses a line. Yes. Yes, not acceptable. And I mean, just again, the importance of boundaries and knowing your boundaries and your limits and what's a deal breaker for you and just standing by them. And I mean, it's easy for me to say because I've never dealt with this. Like, yeah, go girl, hold your ground and stand, stand up for your boundaries. And that's so easy, I know, for me to say, but gosh, how important though, too, just for yourself and there are kids involved too. Yeah. I applaud you. That is incredible that you had the guts to do that. Wow. You mentioned boundaries and it was definitely the biggest slap in the face that I didn't really even get to choose if this was something that I was okay with before entering into a marriage. Um, I know that some people are okay with this and I mean, good on them. Is that something that they're okay with being in the relationship? Then it's not really any of my business, but I would have at least like, it's not something that I feel has a place in any relationship that I'm going to have in my life. Um, And I would have appreciated that option and the knowledge to make that decision for myself right off the bat, instead of kind of being forced to crush a boundary that I didn't even know I had at the time. Yeah. What a good point. Yeah. And great question to ask your potential partner, you know, or potential spouse, if you're about to head down the aisle, your thoughts on pornography and or like addiction and any experience with that and any like their thoughts on it. And I mean, a heavy question to ask, but it sounds like very, very important too, you know, so, you know, were there any other signs that you saw in him of an addictive personality or anything like that? Honestly, no, not really. Um, the scary thing is that he he was honestly otherwise kind of a puppy. Like he really? would not expect someone to be carrying something like that around. I did not yeah. like talking to him and knowing him. This is not something that I would have expected that he would be dealing with. It just it didn't really fit the profile for me. Um, so it was just kind of interesting to me that across the rest of the board, you know, he was a decent husband, but this was the one thing that was just kind of the knife in the coffin to our marriage. But Was it hard for you to trust again, like with your current husband? Um, It was. Um, Again, with boundaries at this point, I essentially told him that porn wasn't something that I was going to accept and that if he was actively participating in it it had to stop if you wanted a relationship with me otherwise move along like that's fine (laughs) we can stop it here yeah yeah it's just it's not coming into my home ever again I mean I do have kids and I think it's important to note too just 
I have had friends of mine mention that they once like found porn on their computers from like what their fathers had been watching. And not only is that kind of traumatizing to find out that your parent is doing that, but when you're exposed to those images as well as a child, an alarming statistic is that um, about 22% of porn consumption comes from children ages 10 and under. Oh my, um, oh my. Very alarming. Um, yeah, it is. But I just didn't really want my kids to ever be exposed to that. And kids are very intuitive. And obviously, at some point, all of our kids see things and hear things that we never wanted them to see. And I don't necessarily think that that's one that we should count out. Like, yeah, yeah kids yeah. are smart and <laughs> can find anything. So, aren't they? Doesn't it just blow your mind how it does. observant and intuitive and aware they are? They just, they're on it. Even when you think that they're not paying <laughs> or they're not up on it, they know. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, I just didn't want it in my house. I didn't want my son to struggle with the same thing. I just, I didn't want that for them. And I definitely didn't want round two for myself. Yeah. And also was part of your decision to leave too and just maxing out on it. Was it also wanting to set an example of a healthy, strong relationship and like you standing up for yourself and asserting your boundaries and then for sure, like um, strong, good, healthy relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of what I left was for my kids. Um, while I was going through this, I was very insecure. I wasn't really thinking about my kids. I was so self-absorbed with myself and the issues in our marriage, everything going on there. That At the time, I was just not being the best parent that I could be. Um, I was very distracted with... Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> what you were dealing with... Oh my. <laughs> I was very distracted from much more important things that I should have been focused on. Um, and so I definitely think that by leaving and being able to get myself out of that environment and start the healing process, I've definitely been able to be a much better parent to my kids. And I'm also just glad that I can now also be a better example to my daughter and not rub all of my insecurity off on her not have her watching her mom be a big insecure body shaming mess that I was at one point I am so impressed by you gosh that is so impressive how you handled it what you did how you left what you've created for yourself now I really just bow down to you that's incredible thank you (laughs) that's not easy like I can imagine how hard that was so what were your, difficult. yeah, I can imagine what were your initial thoughts? So you decide to leave, you're walking out the door. Are you having doubts? Are you like, oh my gosh, I take it back. I just want stability right now. Like faux stability. Like, what are your thoughts? How did you push through that? Um, it was a rough divorce. I, I mean, I don't know how I went over this. Change in general, I think is hard. So even if you are trying to get a positive thing going in your life, leaving the negative is just a big change. And even though you are miserable, you kind of find yourself being comfortable being miserable in any shift from that lifestyle that you've lived in for so long is terrifying. Yeah. Um, Good point. So I definitely... 
I definitely had second thoughts, not to mention um, this person has been gaslighting me for years over (laughs) pornography itself, um, albeit to expect that he was able to do it in other ways too. I mean, um, I was 22 at the time and we were, for our age, pretty successful. Um, And I, he just tried to manipulate me into saying a lot of different ways. We owned our own business at the time. My income was from working at our business and he was a provider of a service licensed and I was virtually the star receptionist um, and co-owner. So he ended up getting the business and so I was losing my income, basically any financial security. Um, And he was over here whispering in my ear, like, you can turn the other cheek and I can still take care of you. Like, you can still have this lifestyle, get the monetary things that you want, be safe with the roof over your head. So basically asking me essentially to just look away from this one little thing and I can still take care of you. So that was scary too. I'm like, well, yeah, you're right. I'm losing a marriage. I'm losing a job. And how seductive and, and appealing would that be though? Cause like that is terrifying to like venture out on your own to losing your income and the partnership and all of that. And that would sound really freaking appealing if you're like, oh my gosh, well, yeah, I could just pretend like it didn't happen. And then I wouldn't have yeah. the stress of trying to make it on my own financially and care as a, like as a mother, as a single mother, that would be really hard to walk away from. For sure. Um, fortunately, that was the argument I had been giving myself for years. That I you are yeah. at that point and learned to get over because I mean, I had been telling myself like, no, I can't leave. Like that changes everything. At this point, I had never had a job outside of either being a homemaker to our children or working at our office that we owned together. And so by leaving, I was essentially just opening up a world that I didn't know yet. And so it was scary. Yeah. You're very intimidating. And you did it. You freaking did it. I did it. (laughs) Yay. Girl power. (laughs) High five. And that's how it's done. And again, it's so easy for me to say, yeah, just go for it. Cause I get that I've never experienced that and lived that, but I truly believe that there's always a reason that you can tell yourself why you shouldn't do anything. And I love that you highlighted how change can be scary and it's uncomfortable and it's not always what you want to be experiencing at the moment, even if it's something that's changing for the better, but Yes, like you can always placate yourself with a reason why you shouldn't do something, but your why has to be stronger than your fear and your reasons. And I mean, you're a shining example of that and you did it. And that's so remarkable and so awesome. Yeah, no kidding. Thank you again for sharing all of that because that's, I mean, that's a heavy experience. Honestly, anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any interest in like being active in like anti-porn movements like now or are you just kind of, what are your thoughts on porn now? Honestly, I'm obviously I, um, not a fan of it, but as no. as, like, opposing it. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Honestly, I do. I have very strong opinions against it for a variety of reasons. One being obviously the accessibility. Yeah. And then just, I don't know, there's a lot of social media apps and everything now. And it's come up in a few topics on like TikTok videos that I watched. Yes, I know I'm 12 years old. Oh my God. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. TikTok. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but it's come up a few times and comments are just filled um, with people just basically attacking anyone that is against it for being prudent or insecure. Um, A lot of people try and play it off as something that's totally harmless. um, And I just, I know it's not. And I know that there are people out there that can probably watch it and not struggle with it the same way that my ex-husband did. But I also do believe that it's a slippery slope and that, I don't know, it can definitely get to that point if you're not careful. So I do, I would love to raise more awareness about it, Um, but it's kind of scary to do so when so many people fight for it. You don't really see a lot of people being like, yeah, cocaine is great. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody should just be down with cocaine. Yeah. It's a buzzkill. Back off. (laughs) Have my coke. (laughs) For sure. Like, I feel like collectively, most of us can agree that that's harmful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But while there is a lot of people moving against porn, I feel like there is an equal amount of people that are for it. And that's where it gets really scary and pretty intimidating to tackle. Yeah, definitely. That is a good point. And it is it is a slippery slope. And it just goes to show that, I mean, this is not quite a parallel, but because porn is a little different, but anything can be a drug of choice i mean alcohol it's accessible not necessarily as accessible as porn as far as like exactly stuff, like you can just hop on the internet and it's in your face and it god it's in your yeah. face, whether you want it to be or not yeah yeah but i mean anything can be a drug and that would be an uphill battle because so many are advocating for it and that does make it a little more challenging and I mean, like with alcohol, there are plenty of people that can maybe drink, you know, once every other month when they're out with friends and it's fine. Um, it's controlled and they have total control over it. But then there are people that have that drink and suddenly they're spending thousands of dollars on alcohol or drunk at six o'clock in the morning. Their personal life and is it, in the dumps. Their professional life is in the dumps. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with this. I mean, I've also heard of people being fired for watching porn at work like oh yeah it can really take over your life the same way that any of these other substances can and it's hard because it's just a click away if you it's almost inescapable at this point it's like I think we've all probably entered something totally unrelated in google and had some kind of pornographic image yeah but like and that can trigger it um i know that one person a close family friend of ours that has a husband that struggled with it his started with like a lightly scantily clad image in a gap magazine <laughs> oh my god oh gosh it's you never know no. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for another reason why porn is dangerous too, it really harms intimacy and realistic expectations for what sex should be like, what it should feel like um, with orgasms, with just the dynamics of it, what you should look like. And I mean, especially females, but males too, holds them to an impossible standard or a different standard, unrealistic standard of what they should look like and like anatomy and all of it just that's the bar so yeah elusively high that you're just never going to achieve it and then there's just the shame that surrounds 
intimacy now because of it. Yep. I truly believe that it is the baseline for a lot of major social issues that we face today. And I don't think people are making a lot of those connections, especially going back to talking about how young people are when they're exposed to it. I mean, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that's like setting, that's imprinting in their minds what it should look like or what it should be. And yeah, starting that young, that's going to have ripple effects. Just yeah, like growing just- up and socializing. But then, yeah, when they do get intimate, uh, yeah, that's going to mess it up. Well, and when you think about little boys watching something that might um, might represent abusive um, yeah, yes, tendencies yes, in yes, sex, and yes. then to have these women enjoying it, yes. um, like yes. that is what it's depicting. And so these boys are growing up like I can treat women like this, and they're going to love it. Yes, um, this is and I think it has been yeah a huge contributor to rape culture. Yeah. Um, I think it's a huge that and I don't know it's just I think it's it's caused a lot of major social issues and I think honestly so many people are addicted to it that they refuse to acknowledge what a problem it is yes wow I agree and it's it's a deeper issue yeah than it might seem at first glance or surface level and the impact it has on so many different things and all of the different layers Wow. Yes. Such a significant topic that really needs to be discussed. And I think it's an increasing problem that keeps spreading its wings and getting into like seeping into the fabric of our society and our relationships and perceptions and everything. Do you have any like last messages for people or guidance that you would want to give? Um, Honestly, number one at this point is just not to take it personally. And frankly, I to this day, don't believe that anything that my husband did was something that he was doing in with the intention to hurt me or hurt my feelings or my self-esteem. I really believe that he was a passenger inside his own body and his own mind and his addiction was in the driver's seat. Um, I don't know. I don't really ever think that he meant to hurt me. I just, I think that he needed help more than anything but it wasn't my job to fix him and I don't think it's anyone's job to stick around and fix the behaviors of someone that isn't willing to stop engaging in the behavior that is hurting their spouse so yeah um, it's like yeah just like with anything or setting boundaries sometimes you have to love from afar and get out of there (laughs) yeah exactly yeah doesn't mean that you have to hate them I mean, you can push them all into recovery and still love them. them. Yeah, yeah, but you can't abandon yourself and you can't fix them. You got to unload yourself of that responsibility and pressure and burden and get out of there. Save yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And what a perspective, like for you to recognize and understand that it wasn't because of you or it wasn't him trying to hurt you or it wasn't anything to do with you. It wasn't personal. So what got you to that point? Therapy, like self-reflection, what got you there? A little of both, honestly. I mean, post-divorce, he did start going to therapy for a little bit. He was starting to be honest with himself. Frankly, I think that me leaving was probably the best thing I could have done for him as well, because that sparked him into a journey of um, self-correction. Yes, yes, yes. What a good point, too. Yeah. (laughs) That's like the catalyst for their healing and their change. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
I had to stop holding it over his head that I was leaving and he just needed that one big thing to happen in his life that was going to shift his perspective a little bit and just get that little snap in his brain to activate and it did and I think really me leaving helped both of us but honestly if someone's willing to change and they're making a valid effort to do so then no I don't really think that it's the worst thing in the world to stay as long as you can see that they're actively trying to do that but I also don't necessarily think it's bad to stay in that case or bad to leave in that case either sometimes it's just not something that we can really carry and we shouldn't have to carry it have to carry it yeah yes well you are a beautiful soul in person thank you so much where can people find you if they want to do you want people to find you <laughs> <laughs> my home address <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> social what's your social what's your mother's maiden name <laughs> <laughs> last four of my social um oh name my of my high school mascot <laughs> yeah yeah your pet name your first pet name <laughs> Um, Reagan, R-E-A-G-A-N-E-G underscore on Instagram. They can find me on there if they want to reach out. They want any extra advice and more nitty gritty details. I am happy to oblige. That's so cool of you. So cool of you. And thank you again. And everybody, yeah. You have heard just what a superstar and inspiration she is. Feel free to reach out to her if you have any questions that you have, maybe from your personal experience, you're not sure where to go and she knows your stuff. Thank you, Reagan. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Like I said before, it's not really a great party conversation. Baker. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, you want to hear about the time my husband was a porn <laughs> It's not like this, this was better for sure. I got a feel good conversation for you guys. Get a load of it. Yeah. <laughs> and just jump right into it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Reagan. Talk to you later. You're welcome. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.